Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I'll go ahead, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're, we're going to be in Hebrews 7 today. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. And if you know much about Hebrews 7, how many of you know about Melchizedek, first up, I show hands, who knows who Melchizedek is really, like who he really is. I see about as many hands as past breakups against the Tennessee Vol yesterday. Yeah, if you saw that game, it was pretty bad. <laughs> there was about two hands up, I think that was about the number we had yesterday. <laughs> but that's about right. Melchizedek is this, this figure that shows up in the Old Testament of the Bible, and he's, th- he's, he's there. But he's gone as quick as he pops up, right? I mean, it, let's be realistic. He, he's, in, he's in four total verses in the Old Testament. We have one interaction with him with a key figure in the Bible that we know of. And we know nothing else about Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. We don't know really the depth of him until we get to Hebrews right here. Then we start learning a little more about Melchizedek. This is many years after, he, after he's long gone. We start learning about it. So what, what we're going to treat this today, we're going to be in Hebrews 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. We're also, I'm just going to go ahead and give you all the scriptures. That way you, you have it to access when you need it. Uh, we'll, eventually we'll hit Genesis 14, um, 18 through 20. And then we'll hit Psalms 110, verse 4. That's, that's the scriptures we're going to be in today. We're kind of going to treat this more like a... More, more like a a Bible study kind of kind of format where we're learning who Melchizedek is, the importance and things like that. And we're really going to set up the last half of this chapter. It wouldn't do this chapter justice without discussing this section to get into the next section, which is really good. So please please come back next week when I think Ryan's going to be back preaching that one next week. And I'm excited for what he has in store. But this is extremely important as well. So I'm just going to I'm gonna say I'm going to pray again real quick, and then I'm going to dive right in to see uh, and, and see where God lets it lie today. God, thank you so much for allowing me to, to preach your word today, God. I pray that, uh, that, that I can iterate what you have for me to iterate on Melchizedek in this section of Scripture, God. I, pr- I pray that, that, it, that it, it hits exactly how it's meant to hit, God. And God, I allow you to use me, Lord. I allow you to use me to use your word, Lord. If it needs to be changed, change it right now, God. It's okay. I'm okay with that edit, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verse 1, we're going to hit it's. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high when Abraham was returning home from winning a great battle against the kings. Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. Well, if you, and this is, this is in the NLT. First off, so it says, king, it says king of justice, but if you look at the NIV and some of the other versions, it says king of righteousness. So I just want to make, the, I just want to make that, that, that differentiation. King of justice and king of righteousness hand in hand. You'll hear me say both back and forth. That's kind of where I just want to make sure that that is, uh, that is known. And, then, and king of Salem means king of peace. Well, Salem, was, Salem is uh, ancient Jerusalem, if you didn't know, as the time frame. That's, it, that's what it is. So Salem is... He's the king of sin, so he's the king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors. There's no beginning or end to his life. He remains priest forever, resembling the Son of God. 
Hmm. So who was Melchizedek? I don't hear a lot of answers either. <laughs> we'll figure. We're, we're going to figure this out real quick. Like I said, this is a man that the that if you're breezing through the Bible, you can miss in an instant. You might not even know he was there. You can breeze right past him, and and honestly, you'll miss it. It's okay. <laughs> But he's an Old Testament figure. Like I said, he was mentioned three times in the book of Genesis and three, and three whole verses in the book of Genesis. And then one more verse in the book of Psalms. He has a lot of impact and a very short window. But the thing is, he wouldn't be in the Bible if God didn't want us to know something about it or learn about this, right? So, he's, like I said, he's just gone out of our way about as quick as he shows up. He had one interaction with one key figure in the Bible that we know of. And just happened to be the patriarch of the nation of Israel. The guy that the entire nation comes out of, right? So it's, it, it's, it's a big deal. But all this, all this saying, being said with, four, with him being mentioned four times, and it really gets mentioned more in Hebrews than he does in the entire Old Testament when he's actually there, it doesn't mean he's insignificant. But looking at, looking at it, just look at his name Melchizedek for a second. It means king of justice, like I said, or king of righteousness, does that sound familiar? Sound kind of familiar to somebody that, that um, we know that pops up um, around the Gospels? Jesus, right? So it starts to sound real familiar right there. We also, the next thing we learn is he's the king of peace. Well, as we know, Jesus is a prince of peace. So there's, there's, another, there's another parallel that we're starting to draw to see Exactly like in verse 3 states at the end that he was resembling the Son of God. So I, I, honestly, I love how, I love how the, the Bible works. I love how, how the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God to be written down like this. Because it's very, it's very important and very pointed on how, how it was ordered, the, ordered his name and uh, his meanings. So putting King of Justice, King of Righteousness between king, before King of Peace wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a coincidence either. It was. It was I th- honestly, I believe it was grand design. I mean, it, I, and it's in the Bible that way. I think it really is the true. Because why did I say it's the to have peace? What do you need? You need righteousness. The only way to have true peace is through righteousness. Because. Because I mean, without righteousness, our, our peace is, is, is false. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illusion. It's a facade that, that wears away quick. So and honestly, I think Spurgeon puts it best. Here's a quote from him. It's, peace without righteousness is like the smooth surface of a stream. It's awful Niagara plunge. It looks really smooth. It looks really good when we have no, when we have no righteousness sometimes, but we feel like we have peace. And all of a sudden, we're over the edge, and we don't know where we're going. We don't know how to come back from it. It's so far gone. But with that righteousness, it's honestly like a, like a glassy, watered lake where you're just sitting there, just enjoying the world around you. You can feel it. You can soak it in. You're open. And then we find out the next thing about Melchizedek is he is a priest of God Most High. But who appointed him? I don't know. I can't tell you who appointed him. I, uh, I can't, no man appointed him. Obviously, it was God himself that appointed him at, as as the uh, as a high priest, and the thing is, it, it, and why is this important, though? Because it's important to make the distinction because Abraham recognized the anointment on Melchizedek 
when he when and during his encounter, he he recognized the point that he paid him a tenth. He paid him a tithe uh, of the spoils from the from the war. Some biblical scholars honestly believe that that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnation of Jesus. We know that there's 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 imagery and and there's instances where where the Son of God is, has made appearances in the Old Testament. Do I know this for sure? I don't know this. That's uh, and I'm not going to tell you what to believe on that. Um, all, I, all what I do know is is he does resemble Jesus very very closely in everything he did. He gave blessing. He gave a blessing to Abraham. Anyway, he gave a blessing to Abraham, who was already being blessed by God. This 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 is pretty. It's pretty cool, though. So to me, it kind of really shows. A, it shows a good, a good prelude or a good illustration to what is coming. What what is coming? Even though the Levitical order or the or the order or the, pre, the Levitical priesthood hasn't even been created yet at this time. What's coming after that? It's setting it up. But I, I love how God how God uses uh, guys like Melchizedek and. That he he's going ahead and paving the way for Jesus to step to step in in the new in the new covenant to step in years before the law of Moses even took place, right? The law of Moses isn't even here yet. Moses hasn't even showed up on the scene yet. We're still in the time of Abraham, and you know what? He's already paving the way for the new covenant that's going to take place after the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. So it, it it's just now. So I think it's awesome because you start look at, looking at it that way and you see there's really a grand design here. The, the law, it's not saying the law of Moses was a mistake. No, it was needed absolutely at that time. It was exactly what was needed at that time, and God knew that. God, but God also knew what was needed after that time. So he's already setting the, setting the groundwork, laying the groundwork, putting it in place for, for us to accept his son and for the people then to accept his son. So... Moving, we're going to move on real quick to, to verse 4. We're going to pick this up. It's, like it's going to be back and forth. We're going to be in the Scripture and then back, back out of the Scripture back and forth. So verse 4, Consider then how great Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests, who are descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. That's kind of big right there. So how do you bless somebody who's already received the promises of God? You have to have some serious anointment right there. Which I, think is, which I think is awesome. I think it's just cool right here. And without question, the person who has the power to give blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. Number, verse 8, the priests who collect the tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. Verse 9, in addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collected the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham when he paid a tithe to them. For though Levi wasn't born, yet the, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body and when Melchizedek collected the tithe for him. So, just how great was the priesthood of Melchizedek then? 
It's the second question. That's kind of, that's, we said we're going to roll with it. How great was the priesthood of Melchizedek? Well, it was so great that the patriarch of Israel himself saw the anointment of God on him and went ahead and paid the tithe for the, for the Levitical priesthood, too. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. How, but again, how, how do we know this when the Bible doesn't say that, he's, that, that it's necessarily the, he's the greatest or something like that? Well, like I said, it's, it, it points out, the, it kind of starts laying out an order of this, of this priesthood, kind of where, where it lies in, in, the, in the rankings, right? So by Abraham paying a tithe to him, and what, like we just said, and this is just what we just read. He also says that's really where it comes from is in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. So we're going to go ahead and read that real quick so we can, so we can pull that, on, that section on in. And starting at verse 18, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he recovered. So I believe this, this right here shows, like I said, the, the rank, kind of the, the order of the priesthoods when you start looking at all of them in the Bible. And I, the reason uh, how you might ask is, I guess to me, in verses 8 through 10 in, in, uh, in Hebrews right there, it states that Levi, Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham when he paid them. The Bible wouldn't say that if it, if it didn't, if it didn't uh, lay out there to me this to me this shows a holy reverence that Abraham had had towards Melchizedek and the anointment he, he saw over Melchizedek and I know I know some of these verses may not seem super important to us today but we got to put our shoe, our, ourselves in the shoes of the audience back then because uh, this, this is really the, when the book of Hebrews is written is really a pivotal moment in the in the history of early uh, of the early church and early Christians, right? Um, it was in a time where, you know, they're kind of they kind of don't know they're tra- they're in that transitional phase. They're they're stepping out of the old covenant where the, that they knew. They're still fighting with that because it was easy. They knew it. They knew where it was. They knew where it lied. They knew they knew what to do, and they were stepping into something unknown with this. But it's also a time where just a few years later, depending on what, what time frame that, that you look at this, it was either a few years to a decade later or so that the Roman Empire wipes out all the temples. They just go ahead and destroy them, run the priests out, everything. So it would pretty much make following, uh, following the Old Covenant nearly impossible. You can't do it. It's pretty much outlawed. You have no access to, to give your yearly sacrifice. You have no access to do, to do any of the stuff that you need to do to follow the, the legalisms that the old law or the old covenant required. But so they were really at, at this moment of decision. Do they, do they turn back to the old covenant of Moses or do they, or the old law of Moses or the old covenant? Or do they, do they continue to dive into this? Continue to dive into this new thing, this new covenant. But then the author goes on to, 
to tell us, here's the next thing that's important for the people then. The author then goes on to tell us that Melchizedek was not a descendant of Levi, nor was he even an ancestor of Levi. He has no tie-in at all to them from, from what this says. And that's important because that, that to me that, well, it's not even to me. It's important because under the law of Moses, if, you, if you're familiar with it, it instructs that the priests come from the tribe of Levi. The first, priest be, the first high priest being Aaron. And it kept, continues to go down and goes down. It's passed on through generationally, typically to the first son. So it left room for it left room for all kinds of different things to happen. This was a priesthood that this was a priesthood that was generationally passed. And in this time, there there was a, the large contingent of people that was having a hard time accepting that Jesus wasn't out of the tribe of Levi when he was a teacher. Right? He broke he broke their cultural norm. He kind of broke their brains, if you say. Like he he just kind of broke it because he he wasn't. From the right group. He wasn't from the right people. So pointing out that Melchizedek, who was a high priest, wasn't from the right group as well is, is extremely important to me. Because this is also this is a priesthood that predated the Levitical priesthood, but it broke the legalistic barriers that was already created. So it's just it's almost like, you know, there's something eternal about the Mel the order of Melchizedek, unlike the mortality of the Levitical priesthood. Like I said, it was passed down to the first son generationally. Then the author hits us with kind of this bomb right here in verse 8. The priests who collected the tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. This is a priesthood that lives on. To me, it's interesting there. It's kind of it's kind of cool. It's really it's really digging into to why the order of Melchizedek or was greater than the than any Levitical priesthood. It's not saying the Levitical priesthood was entirely bad. It's not saying anything like that. So we're going to go ahead and continue on to verse 11, and we're going to continue to see how this shakes out real quick. So verse 11, we're going to hit it real quick. It says, so the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have achieved perfection, uh, could have achieved, achieved perfection God intended. Why, why did God need to establish a, dis, a different priesthood? With a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi or Aaron. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned any, pro any priests coming from this tribe. So there's the, the third question. Why was a new priesthood needed? To me, honestly, this is probably the easiest one to answer out of all this, out of uh, this whole Melchizedek section. Why was it needed? I mean, we, we could, I could probably ask each one of you, and you'd all probably have a little different answer. 
And it would probably be right. The Levitical priesthood, it's because the Levitical priesthood was law-based or a legalistic priesthood that was generationally passed down. This allowed for the opportunity for there to be really good priests and really corrupt priests. We all, we, all know, we all know people that grew up in church. We all knew people that grew up in the right family and, did, and were raised really well that kind of fell off the wagon. Heck, we might have been some of the people that fell off the wagon too for a few minutes. But it's important because the Levitical priesthood were just men. They were men. They were, they were, suspect, they were susceptible and, and subject to the same issues that you and I deal with today. They were subject to... The, the wrong and the temptations to break the law as you and I are. And don't get me wrong, but with saying this, the law of Moses wasn't a mistake. It was what it was needed at the time. It set up the new covenant that was coming. It set up, it laid the groundwork even deeper for this. It's not saying like the, the Ten Commandments were bad. Throw them out too. No, that's not the case. The Ten Commandments are are extremely important. Now, honestly, it's a great moral guideline to live your life by now. And I mean, I, and I, and I, I think it's great. Our laws are based on that, and we should continue to, to use some of this. But the point is, is man is imperfect, and the Levitical priesthood that is generationally passed down was imperfect as well. They can't help it. It's men. It, it's humans. It's human nature to, to sin. And these men were no, were no different. They had, they had to actually atone for their own sins before they atoned for your sins with their sacrifice as well. Think about that. When, when this, to be like, well, this section of Scripture, when we start looking at the new covenant and for these people that, that the, the author he was talking to when they're in this pivotal moment, they're having a hard time accepting that they don't have to sacrifice more. They could pray. To, they can pray, and Jesus died for them. He was the perfect sacrifice that died for their sins and covered their sins. They don't have to go no longer sacrifice an animal or have a sacrifice for them. And, that, and that's a hard thing to think of because we don't have that intermediary anymore because we, we now have direct access to God through the Son. And that was hard for them. And it, cause, think about it, they, we're not talking about like decades and hundreds of years and centuries and, and millennia. Of this, that we that an experience that we have today. Think about it, we have had scholars and people teaching this and learning this and diving into. So we we we're, it's not it's 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 still nerve wracking when you accept Christ. I understand that, but it's not like living your entire life under one law, and then suddenly, in the blink of an eye, it's changed. There, this, this was important for them. And it's still important for us. So there was not, there was not, and is not, and will never be perfection in man on earth. Except for one man. He was born, and his name is Jesus. That is the that is the only man that has ever walked this earth, the only human that has ever walked this earth that lived an absolutely perfect life, that lived and followed the law to, to the detail. He was the only one that was capable of following all the laws and the law of Moses. And, it, and he paved the way. And he was, the, way, the way was paved by these Old Testament encounters and prophecies through people like Melchizedek. Like I said, and some, honest, and some believe that he was a pre-incarnate Christ. 
And finally, here's the last mention in the Old Testament. It's Psalms 4. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This being said, the order of Melchizedek is a precursor to the new law. It's a new. Co- it's the precursor to the new co- covenant. I think that's really what we're talking about here when we hear the order of Melchizedek. It's just, it's paved the way for the new covenant to to fall in. And it's important to me that it's important also that he it is established as a high priest of God, even though he was not from the right family, not from the right tribe. Is a group, however you want to do that, however you want to say it. There's there's a hundred different things here. He wasn't the right guy by their cultural norms. He was the wrong person every which way you can. That's how Jesus was. He went from the right tribe, he went from the right group, he wasn't born in the right area. He shouldn't have been, but he was. And culturally, that is in that is very important because he shouldn't have been a teacher of the law, and then he and he did, and he and he created something much better. He created a personal relationship with God that we now have. And, guys, that, that, that's important because that, that relationship that we now have, we don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through an intermediary. We go straight to the Father through the Son who is sitting at the Father's right hand right now. He is praying for, on your behalf for you to the Father, interceding for us right now. And that's important, guys. That is very, very important because... By their standard, he shouldn't have been it. And without Melchizedek in this section, you, they didn't. We, I don't know how it would have gone. I think God would have still found a way to make it work. But I think God would be right here sliding this in early in the Bible and the book of Genesis and, and really early on in the book of Genesis. Slipping in little details. Slipping in little passages, paving the way for Jesus Christ for when he's born. Because this is, because at the end of the day, Jesus was was the answer. Jesus is an, the the was the ultimate high priest. He was the ultimate one that we don't need anymore. There's no more priesthood. There's no more there's no more generationally past priests that we have to go through. There's no more bad priests being born. We have the perfect priest right there. It's Jesus Christ. And he died for our sins. He covered our sins, right? So what I, what I love about this, and the, the, I guess the, the big point, I think, at the end of this that, I, that I, I kind of identify for us is God defied all cultural norms and legalisms to get to us through it by his son. That's it. That's that's it. That's the point. Uh, this is this is really it today, guys. Kind of just discovering who Melchizedek is and where he's at. And if you want to come on up, you're more than welcome. It's that's it. It's not the, it's not a this isn't a huge a huge section where you get this, this great inspirational quote right out of. But if you pass up verses 1 through 14 because it's hard to read, it's hard to understand, or, and it's a little bit confusing because we're talking about a guy who was mentioned four times in the Old Testament, we, we're going to miss the importance that comes in the rest of this chapter. 
and it wouldn't do it justice to breeze through the top half and then hit the bottom half really heavy. So we took the time, I want to take the time to kind of break this down, who he was, why it was important, and why we needed the new priesthood today. Kind of break it down, kind of like, kind of like a Bible study style. And I, to set up for what Ryan's got coming next week for the last section of this, of this chapter. Because it's something really in store. But I think it's really important, though, because to remember that God loved us so much that he had, to, he had a plan. He had a plan from the very beginning on how to reach us as soon. He, he, knew, he knew it. He knew what to do. He already was, he already was laying the groundwork was before the old covenant was even fully implemented. And even afterwards, he's continued to pave the way. Just like today in our lives, he's continuing to pave the way for us to get to him. He's continually opening doors. He's continually there. He is constantly in our lives. So I think, honestly, guys, if you want to, if y'all want to stand for a minute, um, we're gonna worship for a few minutes, for a, a quick minute, and then uh, we'll see what happens. What God has in store. And guys, while uh, while Andy and the worship team is up here, worship, we're and opening up worship for us again, as we remember who Jesus is and what God did to lay lay it out for us. There's something you need prayer for. I'll be up here at the altar. Please step forward. I'm happy to pray. If you if you don't know, if you don't know Christ or you stepped away from if you stepped away for a period of time and you and you come out, you still kick the tire on it, I'll be here. So well, you don't even have to talk to me. It's okay. You you can just stand on the other side. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with looking. I don't don't bother me at all. But the thing is, the easiest way, even if you're watching online, the easiest thing to do is accept Christ. It's really nerve-wracking until you do it. All you have, all you have to do is, you know, believe and have faith that He is the Son of God and that He died for your sins. And you know, and then repent, and you repent of your sins to Him, and He washes them away. It's that easy. It's that easy. we're not, we don't have to take, find a spotless lamb anymore and sacrifice it. We just simply have to ask. It's awesome.